Well, good morning again. Jesus does not make our lives better. Life. I wonder what you think about life. Do you think about it at all? It's, in some ways, this week, it's been hard not to think about life and what it's all about. With the events of Paris, we have seen life and death played out before us. And it's been troubling. It's been depressing. The complexities of the situation of the world in which we live and the lives that we live completely difficult to make sense of. But life, as you walk through the mall today, on the way up here, next slide please, we're presented with an image of life that is perfect. Good-looking people looking good, having a nice time. If you buy those products, next slide, if you buy the right products in the right way, in the right shops, you'll be happy, we're told, or at least it's implied. It's, it's fascinating to come to, I think, the most comfortable church I've ever come to. Um, and to sit there thinking, I wish my church had these seats. Because <laughs> it'd be so, like, if the preacher is boring, it's really easy to kind of keep your attention, or the, the look of attention, and just nod off gently with the support of the seat behind you. But to come into a mall, a number of years ago in TSF, we had... Uh, a conference where we brought a whole group of students together from around the country for training and Bible teaching. And on one of the days, we, we spent together thinking about what it is to live for Jesus in mission from McDonald's to Mongolia, from the everyday to the extraordinary. And we took them to uh, a mosque, an, an Islamic center, and asked, what are the spiritual values that you will see here? And there was a tour, and a lovely old man showed them around and explained about his faith. And then we took them to the, the Buddhist temple out east. If you've ever been, if you've never been, do go. It's really fascinating. And asked them, what are the spiritual values that you see out there? And then we took them to the mall. And we said, you can spend no money, but what are the spiritual values that you see in the mall? And people were like, there are no spiritual values in the mall. Why can't I spend money? It's like, that's an interesting question that you're asking. Some people got really worked up about it. Life can, maybe outside the mall, people tell you, get out, out into the fresh air. Next slide. This is what life is, to be on a boat, fishing. My pastor is obsessed with, with fishing. And, it, you know, it's, if I want to outsmart a fish, I'll go to Pack and Save and the fish counter, laugh at them and then buy them. <laughs> it's faster and cheaper. Um, and a lot more satisfying. You get to choose which fish you eat rather than the ones that are stupid enough to present themselves to you. <laughs> but is this it? Life on the open wave, in the open air. And what about this next slide? You know, the selfie. <laughs> Life presented in Facebook and Twitter and every other avenue of social media. This is life as I want you to see it. And they're all really good-looking people. And that's the kind of ideal that we long for. Or is it this? The perfect moment. The perfect wedding picture. Is life consistent in the fulfillment of all your dreams? Is life just about getting better and better all the way through? When Jesus said, 
in the temple to those around him, I have come that you might have life and have it to its fullest extent. Is this what he meant? That you would be happy and content on a beach somewhere with the person that you've always loved and longed for? Is it that you will have the best Facebook statuses and updates? Is it that you'll have the best boat, the best life? Is that what life in Jesus is all about? Is that what life at all is all about? Or is life much more like this? Hard work and stress. Or is it like this? Worry about money because you've spent far too much in the mall. Or is it this? Imperfect family life. Whether... Where the family portrait just goes slightly, that looks terribly wrong. I'm sure the child was fine. (laughs) Eventually. But, you know, I wonder how much they paid for that photograph. Or is it this? The awkward wedding photo. Where there's... I hope that's a stage fight in the background. If it wasn't, I'm sure it was a wedding to remember. But life is lived in the real world. And I could tell you that Jesus comes so that you might have life that is always happy. And I could probably say convincingly, but I'd be a liar. Because that's not my experience, nor is it the heart of the message of Scripture. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. And have it in all its abundance, to its fullest extent. Life in the very definition of what life is about. But what he says has a very sharp edge. I have come, he says, that you might have life. And that raises the question, did I not have life in the first place? Is that not what life is for? Sorry, where are we at? Next one. I have come that you might have life. Jesus is speaking to religious people in a much more technologically simple era, in an equally complex political era, at a point in history where there were lots, there's lots and lots of evidence of men and women who came with teaching that would kill. It was very real and visceral for the the people in Israel at that point, because they were occupied by a foreign ruler who believed that he himself was God, and that he had come, and that life in his name, in his, under his rule, was what life should be and should be all about, because he was the center of the whole system. For Caesar, for the ruling king, all of his subjects should be focused on him. So to have life in Jesus' day in the wider context of society and politics, was to focus on the emperor and to know that he was the one who would provide all the good things that you needed. Religiously, those surrounding him, and in the context that he was in as he taught this, as he said this, were convinced that it was in in the law that Moses had been given, that that's where life consisted, that they would keep themselves pure within the law, And that that's how they could have life. But it was troublesome. Because that life required a purity of a system that they could not attain to. And so they they constructed rules and regulations. And the very heart of the system was missing. 
the tabernacle that God had given them through Moses was missing. It had been missing for centuries. They still had the temple, but in the Holy of Holies, where the tabernacle should have been, where God said that he would meet with his people, that box, the covenant box, was empty and was gone. And so at the heart of the system that Jesus was standing in, that was empty. The heart of the political and socio-political system that Jesus was standing in was empty. Because a man who claimed to be God and offered life in his name could not offer anyone life because he himself would die and become dust. And every aspect of life was empty. And Jesus stands in the middle of the, the center of the temple and speaks these words, I have come that you might have life and have it to its fullest extent. These words echo down through the ages right here to today. And as they've echoed down through the ages, one of Jesus' followers, the Apostle Paul, writing to a church that would arise in a city called Ephesus, again, right at the heart of this Roman Empire that was full and empty at the same time, says this to them, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Other translators put it in terms of, as we were by nature children of wrath. Paul says you're doubly dead. Jesus doesn't come to to bring you life because you need something a little bit extra, but because you're actually dead outside of him. You never have life in the first place without Jesus. Paul says you're doubly dead. First, in your trespasses or your transgressions. The trespasses he's talking about is when you break a line, when you step over a rule. This summer, there's been much debate, hasn't there, and discussion about the speed limit. Have any of us been caught by the speed limit restrictions this summer? No one's put, oh, no, one or two hands are like, yeah. not too high. It was like just one, well, I got done by being one kilometer over 100K. And I felt really hard done to. I was like, no, that's not fair. Probably, be, well, you know, I shouldn't feel so hard done to because my speedometer was probably showing 110 at the time on the motorway, not down a road. But I was done by one kilometer. And I was like, that's so unfair. And my wise wife, who's German, so understands rules and regulations, said to me, were you going over the speed limit? I was like, well, yes, obviously. Well, shut up and pay up. It's like, yeah, shut up and pay up. When we transgress God's law, there is a payment required where we go where God says, do not go, where we, we go into areas that he says, in my perfection, I say no, a payment is required, and it is our life. And so every moment that we step over a line, every single time, we deserve death, and rightly are proclaiming that we are dead. Just as those who first sinned, Adam and Eve, transgress the one and only law. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So when they transgressed that law, so demanded of them, 
was death. You shall not surely die, lied the evil one. But they did. They didn't drop dead, but they died that moment. And so every time we transgress, we are dead. We step into death. Outside of Christ, we are singly dead because we have broken God's law. We are doubly dead, not only because we've broken God's law, next slide, but because we have sinned against God's law. This image of sin is, as I'm sure many of us are aware, an archery term. To sin against the target is to fall short of it, to not hit the target. Any archers amongst us? One or two. Again, you're not enthusiastic hand raisers, are you here? That's okay. But so when you, I'm not a great archer, but have a few times. And when you fall short of the target, it's disappointing. Because despite your best effort, you've missed. You've not come up against it. And whether you miss it by hitting the support of the target just underneath, or whether you are so woeful that you let go of your string and your arrow falls at your feet, which has never happened to me, you miss the target. You sin against the target. So too, in this case, When we sin against God's standard, when we sin against God's character, God's nature, who he is, we fall short of who he has made us to be, who he designed us to be and called us to be, who you were born to be under his rule and reign. So every impure thought and every dodgy joke, every time you look at something in the mall as you walk up to church and think, that would make me so much happier. Whenever you look at a 48-inch television, again, a personal story, whenever you look at a 48-inch television and think, it would be, life would be just that little bit better with that, we fall short. Because it won't be. You'll just have a bigger TV, which I've learned recently. Life doesn't get better, you just get a bigger TV to watch the stuff on. A designer label doesn't make life better. Children doesn't make life better. It really doesn't. No, I have three lovely kids. doesn't make life better. A partner doesn't make life better. It means you've got more to share with someone else. It means that you have a partner alongside you. But it doesn't make life better. It doesn't give you more of life. And every time we think it does, we sin. Not because we're bad, but because that's falling short of how God intended us to be. You were dead, says Paul, in your transgressions and your sins. Doubly dead. And also, next slide, doubly enslaved. Because Did you see that in the passage? In which you once walked following the course of the world, just like everyone else. You are, we are. Outside of Christ, just following the crowd. Several times in Scripture, we are referred to as sheep. It is not a compliment. If you've ever spent any time with sheep, you know it's not a compliment. I remember once in the English countryside having a lovely walk and pray and time with God, and I stood at this scenic moment in the Lake District. 
leaning on a stone wall that had stood there for centuries, watching this herd of sheep, when one sheep broke out of the herd down the hill and careered, and it just looked like it was having the best time. It got faster and faster and faster, and then killed itself, hitting itself straight into a fence, broke its neck, as I stood watching this beautiful scene of death and destruction. I thought, yeah. As, you know, and I'd been kind of thinking, Lord, you say you're the great shepherd and the good shepherd, and we're your sheep. And this sheep just careered down the hill. I thought, yeah, not a compliment. Not a compliment. We are like sheep. We will follow the fad. We will go anywhere and do anything that our society and our culture can kind of tell us. Once showing a friend from Uganda around the city that we were living in in the UK. We walked past an an old church, an old Anglican church building that had been converted into a mosque. And then we walked past another old church building that had been converted into a carpet warehouse. And he said, which, who would allow this wickedness? And as we walked around the city, he, he came back to my house and he just said, you must be a special generation in this country. For God to preserve you in the face of such wickedness, of women dressing immodestly, of men behaving so foolishly, God must really have a special purpose for you. And I really realized how easy it is that we accept as a norm that which our culture, which does not know nor love the Lord himself, we accept cultural norms given to us. So we, like everyone else outside of Christ, follow the course of this world. And outside of Christ, we follow the, the evil one, the prince of the power of the air or of the, the lower heavens, the one who kind of reigns and rules in the world in which we live. Because the world in which we live does not own Christ, nor is owned by him. Doubly dead and doubly enslaved. It's not good news, is it? Jesus has come that you might have life, and life in all its fullness, because this is the situation we find ourselves in. And did you see that in verse 3? Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature objects or children of God's anger. It's a desperate situation. Jesus doesn't come that you might have a slightly better life. Next slide. Because you're in real danger. Because you're dead outside of Jesus. There is no life. You're like, but Andy, you know, you're not talking to a room of corpses. Clearly not. Well, in the most case, clearly not. You're listening and nodding and one or two, you're sleeping very, very well. But we're in danger outside of Christ because we live not before a God who doesn't really care. He's not a neglectful parent. He's not someone who abandons their kids. He's not someone who doesn't care. He's the one who has said, if you transgress and if you sin, you are enemies of my rule and reign and righteousness. And so there is no life despite a beating heart and a working mind. There is no life in anyone outside of Jesus. Now, I don't know where you stand in relationship with Jesus, whether you, like me, have grown up in a Christian setting, but aren't yourself in relationship with God. 
or whether you've been living as a Christian, but really the relationship itself is missing, or whether you're new to church, new to all this stuff, and thinking, this is really shocking. How can this really good-looking guy at the front? Seriously, people. How can this guy at the front say such horrendous, rude things? Well, you know, given the choice, I wouldn't be saying this. Because I want you to like me. Because I'm like everyone else. I'm tempted to be a people pleaser. But this is life and death stuff. This is truth. And this is the real danger in which you're living. No matter how young or old you are, no matter your background of your racial or ethnic background, no matter your position in life, no matter how much you've got on your bank account, no matter how much retirement planning you've done, or whatever your circumstances in life are, this is the reality of what life is like outside of Christ. So when Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to its fullest extent, he's saying it to a bunch of people who are the living dead. That anyone who stands outside of Christ are those who are headed towards death and belong to death, and death under God's righteous judgment. And so there is great danger in that. And Jesus says, on an ordinary day, sometime around 30, 32 AD, I've come that you might have life. Everyone else who will teach you, he said, is coming to to destroy and kill He calls them thieves because they will steal the life that is being offered to you. But Jesus offers life in all its fullness. Because, in the second half of the passage we had read earlier, it says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seats us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Jesus didn't come to tell you that you're dead. Jesus didn't come to offend the world. But the message that he brings is offensive to a world living outside of him and away from him. It provokes people to anger and always has. It is worth living for and dying for. It is not incidentally worth killing for. But it is a life that is lived in all its fullness because it is true life that endures. Next slide. It is where mercy and grace meet because of love. It is God's love that compelled him. We had read at the beginning of worship, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever should believe in him, may not perish. And here we are, sat in really comfortable seats, 2,000 years later, and this truth 
that completely transformed the men and women who first heard it, are still completely transforming the men and women who hear it today, you and me. It is sustaining men and women this message of life and truth, this action that God brings through faith in Jesus into the lives of men and women. It's sustaining men and women all over the world. Brothers and sisters, right now in Christ, in prison, for this same thing that we are talking about this morning, who will not deny the truth about Jesus, and so they have life in all its fullness, in prison cells, awaiting death sentences. They are suffering the loss of homes and livelihoods. They are fleeing terror in Iraq. This is the message of hope. This is the message that brings life in all its fullness, that God has loved us and not rejected us in our transgression and our sin. And even when we were dead, He in Christ, through Christ's death on the cross, steals death from us so that He might give to us a gift that must be accepted much like Selwyn's efforts before, not to play with the wrapping, not to think, what can I give in order to get? Not to simply refuse outright, but to open and enjoy. There was a great moment earlier. Sorry, I don't know your names. But as the, the lolly was shown, your, your son? Yeah, yeah. Your son was like, where's mine? I want it, I want it, I want it. And that's what this message is all for. It is to bring life. And when we truly understand it, that's when we cry out, I want it. I still remember the first time I heard that Jesus' death could pay for my sin and my transgression. My heart beat fast. I knew that life was there to be had in Jesus' name. And at every moment I have comprehended that more deeply and more truly in the 27 years since I first took that step of faith. My heart has beat fast. My mind has opened up, and it still does today. As we sang great songs earlier, I believe in the resurrection, that he will come again. Because of God's great love, we have been made alive together with Christ in him, where mercy and grace have met together. And there is this great truth at the end of this passage. You'd be made alive with Christ if you believe, if you trust in him. You become God's handiwork. God's art project. Now let's just look for a moment at the other art projects that God has presented to us. The myriad of stars. The beauty at the sub-molecular level. There are, I know, scientists amongst us whose understanding goes far deeper than my own in both the macro and the micro. My own son, who's now at university in Germany, is a scientist. He said a couple of years ago, I might do something easy at university like theology. I was ready to kill him. <laughs> he can, anyone can learn that stuff. You can't do maths. And he's absolutely right. I can't do maths. I don't have a maths qualification to my name. And it amuses him and my wife, who's also rather scientifically minded, when we have to do complicated calculations together. But as we consider the universe, this is God's handiwork. 
as we think of the intricacies of life. This is God's handiwork. And here in the passage, this life that Jesus brings, that that we become united with through faith by God's free gift to us, transforms life. Not so that it's just a bit better, but that it's life itself. For we are his workmanship, his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus comes that you might have life. And that life is full of meaning and truth and depth. It is as full of meaning when you're sat at your desk on a Monday morning, as some of us will be tomorrow. It is full of meaning when you're on the boat doing the fishing. I think. No, it is. In every area and context, life becomes full of life itself in Christ Jesus. In looking after little ones and in running international corporations. Significance is not about magnitude. It is about relationship with God in Christ Jesus. This is the life that Jesus came to bring. Life in all its fullness. Life, verse 7 in Ephesians 2, that is about God showing his immeasurable riches to the whole of the universe. In you, in us, in his global church, in Christ. This is life in all its fullness. Turning to others and away from Christ will only lead to disappointment and sadness. It's life that has lived forever. Next slide. Life that endures through all ages and on into the endless ages of the new creation. It is life that endures as our bodies fail, as we get older. It is life that endures in the losses and the crimes of life. It is life that endures in the face of all the things that would take life away from us. Just this end of last year, a friend who had struggled with bowel cancer for eight years finally succumbed. But through that period of eight years, watching him be faithful unto Christ, it was watching his life increase in Jesus as his body let him down again and again. And as they faced hope after an operation that kind of indicated the cancer might be gone, and then real sorrow and sadness as the cancer reoccurred and they were told that he'd entered the terminal phase. Life in Jesus' name. Life in Jesus' name lived forever that comes to the child or the elder. Life in Jesus' name that comes across the globe to men and women in riches and in poverty. Life that's lived forever in fullness and significance. It's life in Jesus or no life at all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good and you are right in your word. Thank you that you have rescued those of us who are in Christ from sin and trespass. That you've taken us away from living just in the way in which the world would have us live, living under the condemnation and slavery to the evil one. And you have brought us life in Jesus' name. Father, we repent where we have 
been placing our anchor, our center, our security anywhere other than in Jesus. Lord, help us. Help us to walk in you and for you and through you in the grace and the goodness you have poured out into us. In Jesus' name, by your Spirit, amen.